Uh, good morning. How are we doing? Oh, that was really bad. You sound so sad to be here. You are in the house of God. You ought to be happy. Uh, at least fake it for me a little bit. Let's try that one more time. Good morning. How are we doing? That, see, why couldn't you have done that the first time? That was so much better. I'm so glad to be here. I really am thankful that you guys let me come. Uh, we were talking I, to people earlier that remember me back when uh, I was slightly shorter than I am now. Uh, we moved here when I was in first grade, so I was seven years old. So that's coming up on 20 years, which is a really big number uh, for someone of my age. That's a large number. Uh, but it's 20 years, it's been a really long time. Uh, since we've been here. And this is a part of my life. This is where I grew up. For those of you that don't know that, this is my home. And it's always fun for me to be able to come back home and talk to you and spend time with you and see old faces and see new faces and get to spend time with some church family. Not old as in, you know what, I'm just going to sit down. It's not going to be a good Sunday. Mature faces. You know what, this is going to be bad. Uh, let's just go ahead and jump right in. If you have a Bible with you, if you'll turn to the book of Ephesians chapter 2 for me. Ephesians chapter 2. If you don't have a Bible, you can use your cell phone or an iPad. Uh, if you don't have the app, just go to the app store, type in Bible, and you pick one of those, download it, and read along with us. If you don't have any of those things, we've got the words for you that we are going to put up on the screen uh, when we get there. Ephesians chapter 2. Before we get too far into this, though, I, I really do want to say thank you. Uh, from my family, from my wife, and uh, I feel a little bit betrayed because I really think the reason I'm here is so that um, mom and dad get to play with my son, Ezra, and so he's here. Do we have a picture? Do we have a picture that you could put up there of him? No? You know what? It's okay. Oh, there he is. Uh, and everybody said, thank you very much. Uh, I think he's adorable, but I'm a little bit partial. It's been a really interesting month. He turns one month old tomorrow, and I haven't slept in about a month. Everything in life gets a little bit more interesting when you don't have any sleep and when you have a baby. Uh, but I really want to say thank you to you guys. You really have invested in me, and uh, I'm a product of this church, and I'm a product of you uh, as a church body investing in our youth. And what's cool is to come back and see that there are still kids here that were right where I was that you're investing into. So keep it up. It's, it's worth the reward. And I want to say thanks for my wife and my, my son. We have so many gifts. The back of our car is filled with presents. I don't know how we're going to be able to get all of them back with us, back home. Oh, good. That, they're going to go in your car. We've got, we have so much room. So thank you to people who gave us cards and, and presents. And it, it really is overwhelming. It's humbling to be able to be back with you um, and to just open up the word of God and share it with you. So I hope that we are going to, we're going to have a good time, I promise. If you have a Bible, Ephesians chapter 2. Before we get too far into this, though, I want you to think with me for just a second. We've got to kind of connect with the passage and understand what we're going to look at or at least get connected to it before we dive in and, and start interpreting it. So uh, I want you to think back to when you were a, a little kid or uh, at least a little bit younger than you are now. And I want you to think about uh, something that you wanted to be when you grew up. Think about it. What is something that you wanted to be when you grew up? And it, okay, you've got it. Everybody have it. If you're like me, there were lots of different things that I wanted to be, and it changed almost daily. Uh, we're going to look at a couple of those here in a couple minutes. But think about something you wanted to be when you grew up. Do you have it? Okay, I want you to turn to the person next to you. Don't care which one, whichever one you happen to like better. Pick somebody on either side. And I want you to tell them what you wanted to be when you grew up. Ready? Go. What did you want to be? I need participation. 
This is the part of the service where you're allowed to talk as much as you want. Tell them what you wanted to be when you grew up. Do I have any brave souls who will volunteer to share with the crowd what you wanted to be when you grew up? Anybody show of hands? Carrie, what did you want to be when you grew up? Married to, that's smooth, well done. I would like to change my answer to that. Uh, anybody else, what do you want to be when you grew up? Right here in the back, yes ma'am. You wanted to be a teacher, and what do you do now? As a teacher? Wow, that's amazing, well done. Congratulations, anybody else? What did you want to be? Yes ma'am, right here. A nurse, and what did you do for a living? Well, you people are just successful. Anybody that wanted to be something they didn't, Miss Marilyn, what did you want to be? A lawyer. And what did you do? That's close. <laughs> Could see some similarities. Last one right here. What did you want to be? A medic. And what do you do now? Well, you guys just have this. Gretchen, can I ask what you wanted to be? I just was curious. I don't really know. What did you want to be, Gretchen? A preacher, okay. And what do you do now? Oh, yeah, you preach to people. No. Good to know. Katie, my wife Katie wanted to be a veterinarian um, until she found out that vets also have to put the animals down. And that just, like, wrecked her world. And she gave up on it. She's now a teacher. If you're like me, when you were a kid, there were a lot of different things that you wanted to grow up to be. I had several different things that I wanted to grow up to be. But when you're a little kid... You get interested in these things. You have passions. You have a passion to be a teacher. You have a passion to be a combat medic. You have a passion to be a lawyer. Yeah, you, I could see you as a lawyer. You'd be a great lawyer. Uh, you've got all of these passions, and you're excited about some of these different things. And uh, I just want to share with you some quick things that I wanted to be when I grew up. When I was a, my, the first thing that I ever wanted to be when I grew up is I wanted to be a cowboy. Oh, here's the problem. I look ridiculous, don't I? completely ridiculous. I was in love with John Wayne. How many of you guys know who John Wayne is? John Wayne was and sort of still is my hero. He's who I wanted to be. Um, I wore, we have pictures, everything I did, I had on cowboy boots and a holster. Everywhere I went, I always had that on. Um, but then I ran into a little bit of an issue. I found out that John Wayne was dead. Did you people know this? I did not know that John Wayne was dead. So I found out John Wayne died. And, uh, and I also found out that shooting people uh, is frowned upon. And so as a cowboy, I wouldn't be able to shoot people as much as I wanted to. So along with John Wayne's death went uh, my career as a cowboy. My hair's probably messed up, and that's okay. Then I kind of took a stranger turn. Uh, there for a while, I wanted to be a milkman. Anybody? Is anybody a milkman here? You're a, you used to be a milkman. Is it a good career? Don't want to be a milkman. Thank you. Where were you 20 years ago when I was interested? Um, I wanted to be a milkman so bad, and I have no idea why. Uh, there was a man that went to church here. His name was Alan Davis, and he was a milkman. And for some reason, I was like, that is the perfect job for me. You, here's why. Do you remember those little cartons of chocolate milk? All I wanted to do, what, I felt if you were a milkman, you get access to your own supply, right? And so I can drink as much chocolate milk as my little heart desired. Um, but then I found out a couple different things. I found out that, first of all, you do not get to drink as much chocolate milk as you would like. And secondly, milkmen have to get up rather early in the morning to make sure the milk is delivered. And I really enjoy sleep, so milkman went out the window. Then we got to more serious occupations. Uh, maybe the, the 
biggest thing that I ever wanted to do was be a baseball player. How, is anybody here a professional baseball player? Too bad, I was hoping. Um, I wanted to be a baseball player really, really badly. I loved being outside, and you get the, it, the, the sun and the dirt and the grass, and it just, I still to this day love going to the ballpark. Uh, but I wanted to be a baseball player so, so badly. And then I learned that I am terrified of the baseball. And I checked, uh, if you are scared of the baseball, you are not allowed to be a professional baseball player. Just does not fit well. Um, I, if, I remember the first time I used to play with a tee. How many of you guys play t-ball? Anybody a t-ball player? I couldn't hit the ball off the tee. I would hit the, the plastic tee every single time. I couldn't hit, and then we got up a little bit bigger, and uh, there were kids. They decided that it was good to have kids throw to each other, and so they put the smallest kid on the team, which was always me, and then they took the biggest kid on the team, and they put him out in front of me and gave him really hard baseball and told him to throw the ball as hard as he could in my direction, and that was not okay with me. Did not settle well. Um, I was terrified of the baseball, and that didn't work. Plus, I found out that as a pro, you don't get the free hot dog and Coke and snow cone after the baseball game. So that ruined it for me. Uh, lastly, the, probably the thing uh, that I wanted to be for the longest is I wanted to be a basketball player. Any professional basketball players in the building? No, ah, super cheap. Uh, I really wanted to be a basketball player. Believe it or not, I wasn't a terrible basketball player. My wife and I have a debate as to who was a better basketball player. My wife played college basketball. Even though she's tiny, she was really good. Um, I love basketball. And I used to play all the time, and that's what I did for years. That's, I was obsessed with basketball. Uh, and then I decided not to grow anymore. You're not allowed to be. I'm deceptively slow. So I look like I might be a little fast, but I'm not. I'm really slow and short, and I can't jump. And you aren't going to be very successful as a basketball player if you can't do those things. But continuously, and, and as I got older, things changed for a while. I wanted to be a rock star, and that didn't work out for me. And I've wanted to be all of these different things. But when you're a kid, there's, there's such a, uh, an obsession with an excitement about these things that you want to be. I want to be a teacher. I want to be a medic. I want to be a professional bowler. Whatever it is that you were excited about, you had a passion for it, right? And for a while, you thought that this is my calling. Gretchen, you were born to be a preacher, right? You had this passion. I was born to deliver milk to elementary schools, and it just didn't work out. And sometimes as human beings, we think that we've found our calling. We think that, man, this is what I want to do with my entire life, and then it doesn't work out, right? You, you realize that you're terrified of the baseball, and so you're not going to make a very good baseball player, or you realize uh, that you're really short and slow, and so you're not going to make a very good basketball player. And throughout our lives, we encounter these things where we, we have expectations. We, I want to do this. This is what I feel like I want to do for the rest of my life. This is where my passion lies. And this morning, as we look at Ephesians chapter 2, uh, we are going to look at, at the very end of the chapter, we are going to look at a little bit of that call, a little bit of what will give you purpose, a little bit of what will should ignite some passion within you and get you excited to do something. But before we get to the end of the chapter, we have to start at the beginning of the chapter. We're only going to look at 10 verses. I promise I will be barely quick. Um, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1. In Ephesians chapter 1, uh, Paul writes about our identity in Jesus Christ. Paul goes through, if you, if you have a few minutes later on today, I encourage you to go home, read Ephesians chapter 1. In Ephesians chapter 1, the Apostle Paul writes to the 
believers in the city of Ephesus, and he writes uh, about who they are, their identity in Jesus Christ. And he lists all of these really amazing spiritual benefits, like the fact that as believers we are accepted by Jesus Christ, and we're loved by Jesus Christ, and we've been forgiven, and we've been redeemed. And he goes through, and he almost, almost verse by verse lists off these different things that we have received, these different benefits. Uh, he calls them spiritual blessings that we've received. Once you're a believer, you, you get all of these things. And then in chapter 2, when he hits chapter 2, he does a little bit of a recap for us. And what he does is he tells us in the first 10 verses how we got those spiritual blessings. He lays out for us very clearly and really simply what the gospel is. And so really quickly, what I want to do with you is I just want to show you how Paul described the gospel. And I'm going to walk you through uh, the beautiful picture that is salvation, the beautiful picture that is redemption. Um, and then at the end, Paul leaves us with a, a challenge that should change the way we think and the way we act and the way we live. So Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1. You looking at your Bible or the screen, you ready to read? You'll read along with me, just in case I accidentally pronounce a word, pronounce a word incorrectly. Ready? Here we go. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1. It says this. It says, And you hath he quickened, who were dead in trespasses and sins, where in times past you walked according to the course of the world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience, among whom also we all had our conversation in times past in the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind. And we were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. So we're going to pause right there for just a second to really take in what all he says in these first few verses. If you, if you missed it, Paul paints an incredibly bleak, hopeless picture in these first few verses. Paul describes you and I before we had Jesus. If you're here this morning and you are not a believer in Jesus, sadly for you, this describes the, the manner in which you live now. If you're a believer and you have been saved by the grace of God, this is who you used to be. And the picture that we get is awful. It's terrifying. If you look at verse, verse 1, let's go. It says, and, and you hath he quickened. Quickened means made alive or revived. Who were dead in your trespasses and sins. So the first thing that you are is you were dead. Now, some of you look dead now. But I assume it's just because you're a little sleepy. Uh, but you were dead in your trespasses and sins. You did not exist spiritually. You were dead spiritually. And yet Jesus Christ comes along and he revives us. But the, the first issue we run into is, is that we're dead and it gets worse. Verse 2 says, where in times past you walked according to the course of the world, according to the prince of the power of the air, and the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience, among whom also we had our own conversation. Conversation means lifestyle. Conversation is the way that you lived. So among whom we also had a way that we lived in times past, in the lust of the flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind. And we were by nature, those three words, what do they say? What are the next three words? Oh, you have got to do better than that. What are the next three words? Children of wrath. I love the imagery that Paul paints there. We were by nature children of wrath. And when you look through that, there, there are so many, I could dive in. There are three different ways that Paul uh, describes our sin. He, he says that we walked according to the course of the world, the culture, the world system that is sinful. He says, uh, according to the prince of the power of the air, we were tempted by 
the devil, and, and then finally, probably the biggest one is, is in verse 3. He talks about our lifestyle and our flesh, that our sin comes within us. Because we learn in the book of Genesis that when Adam sinned, sin passed upon all men. In, in the book of Hebrews, uh, it says, uh, death passed upon all men because Adam sinned, whereas by one man has sinned, and sin passed upon all men, and death by sin. So you and I, because we're human beings, because you were born, you have flesh and bone and a spirit. You are by nature, by nature of being a human being, you are a child of wrath. So am I. And the problem is that children of wrath are not children of God. The reason that you're called children of wrath is because you are a child of a system that will eventually have God's wrath poured out upon it. And that is a bad place for us to be in. But that's where we live, right? That's where you live. Believe it or not, that's who you were. You were a child of wrath. You were dead in your trespasses and sins. That puts us in a pretty hopeless place. Because the problem is we can't do anything to get out of it on our own. We're children of wrath. You and I, we are broken, sinful people. And there's nothing that we can do to change it because by nature, that's who you are. The beauty is that the passage doesn't stop there. Let's pick it up in verse 4. Verse 4, you ready to read with me? What do the first two words say? Say it again. What do the first two words say? Beautiful. But God, who is rich in mercy... For his great love wherewith he has loved us. Listen to this. This is crazy. Even when we were dead in sins, hath he quickened us together with Christ Jesus. For parentheses, for it's by grace that you're saved. Verse 6. And hath raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. That in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness towards us through Christ Jesus. Verse 8 says, For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. So here's where it gets good. Because in the first few verses, what we see is that you and I live a hopeless, a bleak, sinful life because by nature you and I are broken, messed up, fallen people but god who is rich in mercy has given us spiritual blessings in the midst of our sin i'm going to run through let me just run through a couple of these with you i kind of want to show you uh a couple of the spiritual blessings that you get here in just these first few verses look in verse four it says but god who is rich in mercy for his great love wherewith he hath loved us even when we were dead in our trespasses and sins so even when you were a child of wrath, even when you were at your lowest point, an enemy of God, the, the complete opposite of God, you were consumed with your sin, you wanted nothing to do with God in the midst of your sin, God's love. In the midst of your sin, God's love was faithful and consistent in your life. And that is unbelievable. Because you were an enemy of God. You were a child of wrath. 
You are the exact opposite of everything that God stood for. And yet in the midst of your sin, when you were still a sinner, when you were still an enemy of God, Jesus Christ loved you. But that's not all he did. Look at verse 5. Even when you were dead in your trespasses and sins, he hath quickened us together with Christ. What does quickened mean? I told you a second ago. It means brought to life, revived. You were dead in your trespasses and sin. And in the middle of your sin, when you were a sinner and the exact opposite of everything that God stood for, God's love was consistent in your life. And not only did he love you, but then he quickened you. We call that salvation, right? At the point of salvation, salvation is when you and I come to God and we say, God, I am a broken, sinful person, and I need you to save me from myself. And at that point, you and I are revived. We are quickened. You are brought to life. So you were a sinner. You were hopeless. I was hopeless, bleak, no hope, sinful, And in the midst of that, God is love. And in the midst of that, God's love was consistent in our lives. And it was consistent enough to revive us, to make us alive, to quicken us. And it gets even better. Verse, uh, let's look at verse 6. And so not only has he loved us, not only has he he made us alive, has he quickened us. Verse 6 says, and he hath raised us up together. And he hath made us sit in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. This one really baffles me. It really blows my mind. One of my favorite verses in all of the Bible is uh, Romans 8, 17. Romans 8, 17 says that you and I become joint heirs with Jesus Christ. God, the third thing that he does here is, is God exalts us. You got to understand the picture. I'm going to walk you through the timeline again. And I'm going to do it again and again and again because I need you to see the timeline. You're a sinner. You are dead in your trespasses and sins, you have no hope. And yet God loved you, and not only did he love you, he quickened you, he brought you alive. And when he brought you alive, he adopted you, and he made you a part of his family. And what that means is you now are an heir to the throne of God, just like Jesus Christ. Think about that for just one second. You are made a joint heir with Jesus. We don't belong in that category. I do not belong in that category. I am, Paul said he was the chief of sinners, and I think I'm probably second. And some of you that grew up around here know that I was terrible. We were children of wrath. But then you get exalted. You sit in heavenly places. If you look back at Ephesians chapter 1, he lists through all of these really incredible things. And towards the end of the chapter, uh, what he does is he lays out for us our spiritual future. That you and I are, are joint heirs with Jesus Christ. You will spend an eternity in the presence of God in paradise. And you didn't do anything to deserve it. It was all God. And not only that, but here might be the very best one. Look at verses 7 through 9. That in the ages to come, he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness toward us through Jesus Christ. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is a gift of God. It is not of works, lest any man should boast. What I love about this is not only does God love us, and does he he make us alive, and does he exalt us, but the last one is God keeps us. Verse 7. 
that in the ages to come he might show his exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness towards us through Jesus Christ. That your position in Jesus Christ, you've made it from child of wrath, enemy of God, hopeless sinner, and now you are a child of the God of the universe. You are a joint heir with Jesus Christ, and that position cannot change. You are locked in. That's permanent, and it's eternal. And to me, that is absolutely amazing. So we, we see the picture of the gospel there. It's very simple. The gospel is we're sinners. Jesus came to die for us, to take our sin upon himself, pay the punishment, and then if we call on him, repent of our sins, we get all of these things. You're loved, you're quickened, you're exalted, and you're kept. So what do we do there? Because I have this, this feeling inside of me that the majority of you are there. The majority of you have made that transition. You're familiar with the timeline, and you may have even tuned me out because you've heard that before. Because you are no longer a child of disobedience. Now you're a child of God, and you've made that transition. But the question for us as believers, for people who come and sit in church, is what do you do now? Because you're not with God yet. So what do we do? Where, how do we find that purpose that we have as a kid where I was destined to be a cowboy and I was destined to be a baseball player, and you were destined to be whatever it is that you thought, this is my passion, this is how I want to spend my whole life. And we make it through this, this whole picture, and then we get to my very favorite part. We're going to look at two things, and then I'm going to let you go home. Let's look at verse 10. We're going to look at God's work in us. The first thing, God's work in us. Verse 10. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. That word workmanship, this is what I shared this with my teenagers a couple weeks ago because I found it when I was doing my own Bible study, and I thought it was incredible. The word workmanship there, the Greek word is poema, which is uh, poetry. You are the poetry of of God. God has crafted you. He has put his creativity. He has put his forethought. He has put his literally his breath into you. You're the poetry of God. And along with the poetry of God, along with the fact that you are his workmanship comes talent and comes gifts and, and, and along with that comes passions and things that you enjoy doing, things that you like to do, things that you're good at. And you have those things for a reason. The second half of verse 10. But you've got to see the, the work of God in us. That, that all from verse 1 all the way to verse, verse 9 and the first part of verse 10 is you, that was a, that, that the gospel is the poetry of God. That you were made as the workmanship of Christ. But here's the problem. As the workmanship of Christ, since God has done work in us, the result of that is that God does work through us. Look at the second half of verse 10. Let's just read the whole thing again. For we are, excuse me, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. You were created unto 
good works. Now let me pause there. I'm going to call a timeout just really quickly so I can clarify one thing that I'm sure that you already know. There is a difference between being saved by good works and being saved unto good works. There is a whole group of people out in the world, and there are people that I meet all the time that I ask them, you know, what do you think about God? What do you think about, the, you know, does God love you in the midst of, of the things that you do that are wrong? And there's a whole group of people that think that if they are just a good enough person, that God is going to love them, that God is going to save them, that God is going to give them grace because they are good enough. I have, look at all the good things I've done, right? I donate this much money to this charity, and I try to do the right thing, and I'm not mean, and I haven't kicked the dog anytime soon, and uh, sometimes uh, I might mess up, but, but overall, if you put out a really big scale and put my good versus my bad, the good would outweigh, and I think that God would honor that. And the problem is that God does not honor that, because God's standard is perfection. God says you have to be sinless in order to enter heaven. You have to be sinless in order to have a relationship with me. And the issue is that you and I are not sinless because it takes one mistake. It takes one little white lie. It takes one outburst of anger. And we fall. We no longer meet the standard. The standard is perfection, and you and I are far away from perfect. And there's nothing that you can't do good works to get you there. You are saved unto good works. I love, if you look at verse 9, it's by grace that you're saved through faith. So God's grace is what saves you by the avenue of your faith. It's not of yourself. It is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. It has nothing to do with the work that you've done. So if you're here and you think that you're a good person, and you think that God is going to honor that, God is not going to honor that. The only way that you have a relationship with Jesus is by coming and repenting of your sin. That's it. You're not saved by your good works. But if you're here and you are saved, you are saved unto. You are saved to do, to perform, to spend your life doing good works. Now that can mean a lot of different things. There's a lot of different good works that you can do. Uh, my wife hates it. She hates it when I leave things sitting out on the like my socks on the floor she doesn't like it my i hate when katie will leave the freezer door open she'll open the freezer door in there she'll stand there and like have a conversation with me close the freezer do you want to talk close the freezer close the fridge let's go talk uh i can be a good husband and do good works and pick up my socks and put them in the dirty clothes bin katie could be a good wife is a good wife sorry uh if she would just close that's a good work she is she is honoring her husband. We can, you can, there are tons of good works that you can do. But I don't think that's what the passage is talking about. There are, there are several things that you can do. You have been saved unto good works. You have been saved to glorify God with the way that you live. That's why when you get saved, when God saves you from your sin, you're not taken to heaven right away. Because God gives you purpose and God gives you tasks that you need to do here on earth. And the issue that we run into is that we don't do those things. We try and find our passions elsewhere, right? I'm a milkman. That's my passion. I'm a baseball player. That's my passion. That's what I do. No, listen, you are the poetry. You are the workmanship of God because your passion and your fulfillment is found in doing works for Jesus Christ. But the issue is sometimes we don't do that. The call is, first of all, an individual call. That God has called you individually to do works for him. 
there is, there is one chief good work that I believe is above all the rest, and that is disciple-making. That God has called each and every one of you, if you're sitting here and you're breathing and you can hear me, you have been called to reach people with the gospel and to develop them into committed followers of Jesus Christ. That's called disciple-making. That is the chief good work. And as an individual, you've been called to do that. But sometimes we don't do that. As an individual, you have been called to serve, to do good works for the Lord in the context of the local church. But the issue that we run into is that there are always positions that need filled, right, Gretchen? Children's director, nursery director. Every Sunday at my church, we need somebody new to come work nursery. Every week. It, that's like the one thing that at Cornerstone, I can't ever get people to work in the nursery. That's my, it's my go-to. It's because babies cry and have to change diapers, and I know that's not fun. Trust me. Trust me. But it's an individual call. That there are things here in the local church that need to get done. And you individually, you have been called to do that. But not only is the call individual, the call is also corporate. The book of Ephesians was written to the believers in the church at Ephesus. It wasn't written to just one person, it was written to a group of people. And this morning, 2,000 some odd years later, it reigns true. It rings true in the context of this local church, in the context of my local church, that as a church, you have been called to fulfill the Great Commission. As a church, you have been called, you have been saved unto good works to change your community for Jesus Christ. Because there are people out there that are going to miss it. And that's why I think it's so exciting. I, I was, pastor called me and was kind of telling me about some of the, the new things you guys have coming and and uh, there are going to be some, some really exciting new stuff that's starting along with what, what goes on here on, on a weekly basis. And I think that that's amazing. And here's why. Because the chief good work is making disciples. And I don't care what kind of music you have. I don't care how you dress. I don't care the program in which you use to reach people with, with the word of God. If people are getting saved, that's our calling. And as Sunshine Baptist Church, you are called to reach people. And as a church, you have to get that done. And you use whatever means are necessary, provided they are not directly against the word of God. You use whatever means are necessary to reach people. Because it is your calling. It is your passion. It is what you were created to do. So this morning, I'm done. Let's go have lunch. Before we do, if you're here and you can hear my voice, and you are a believer... In God Almighty, listen to me, you've been called to serve here. Don't argue with me, that's what the Bible says. You have been called, the call is individual on your life. God has given you passions, God has given you desires, you are the workmanship, the poetry of God. He has crafted you and put his creativity in you. And there are things that you are good at that I am terrible at. And there are things that I am good at that you are terrible at. And together we are the body of Jesus Christ. And we are called to serve him with the talents that he's given us. But the problem is that in most churches in America, statistics show that 20% of the people do 80% of the work. And the Apostle Paul said, you're all saved unto good works. 100% of the people should be doing 100% of the work. And if you're here and you're a attender at Sunshine Baptist Church on a regular occasion, and you are a believer in Jesus Christ, it is your calling to get plugged in and to serve God here. 
because you have been saved unto, you have been saved so that you can do good works and perform service for God. The question is whether or not you're going to do it, right? One of my favorite verses I, in all the Bible, I tell my teenagers this literally every single week. James 1.22 says, Be ye a doer of the word and not a hearer only. That's where the rubber meets the road. Because right now, you have heard what God has to say from the book of Ephesians chapter 2. And you have heard that you are called to serve somewhere in this ministry. It can be a doer of the word or just a hearer only. I know there are new positions because we talked about them, right? You're about to start a whole new service. You're going to serve coffee. You're going to need, you're going to have children's ministry. If, you're, if you don't like the new service, come serve at it. You don't have to attend it. Just come serve coffee. Come love on people that are going to come to hear Jesus Christ. You are called to serve God in the context of the local church. But the question is, are you going to be a doer of the word or a hearer only? choice is yours the decision has to be made because no decision is a decision you walk out of here and say that was really good or that was really bad if you leave and you go i don't know that i should serve i don't know that i should get plugged in you're missing the point you are a hearer of the word and you are not a doer of the word of god and so this morning what i want you to know is that you are the poetry the workmanship of jesus christ and you have been called to serve God right here. My proposition to you, my question for you is, are you going to do it? That's it. It's simple. Are you going to do it?